0: Hey, so before we get into the awesomeness of this week's episode, I wanted to say up at the top that this week we are talking about depression, anxiety, and some mental health stuff. So if any of that is a trigger for you or might be difficult for you to listen to, please feel free to skip this week. And if you are in a mental health crisis right now, please
1: call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You can also online chat with them. You can also tweet at them. But again, that's 1-800-273-8255.
0: Season one of The Fairer Sense is sponsored by FreshBooks, the cloud accounting software for small business owners and freelancers who are working those side hustles. Stay tuned for more info on how you can get a free trial. Thanks, FreshBooks. I'm Cara. I'm Tanya. And this is The Fairer Sense. Rad women and real money stories
1: instead of the same old financial bullshit. Hey.
0: Hey. This week, investing in your mental health. Hey, Tanya. <laughs> that was the most efficient ever. <laughs> right into it. Hey, Kara. <laughs> Now I'm I'm nervous. I'm like, oh, God, what do I say?
1: Do you feel like hearing the boys make fun of us last week kind of spoiled our intro?
0: (laughs) Okay, yes. T-Bone makes fun of me all the time because of how we say hello and the intro over the music. You know, he does a lot of, I'm Kara. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Oh, boys.
0: Oh, love to hate them. Hate to love them. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) What's new with you, my friend?
0: Well, (laughs) I'm like, what is now? Oh my God, just totally. It's 2018. It's 2018.
1: We're not dead from nuclear war yet. And
0: no, new thing for me is I held a two-day event for my company, Bravely last week and it went really well. We sold out. Everyone is really engaged. I got a lot of really positive feedback and that was really helpful for me because doing events really triggers my anxiety in many ways because there's a lot to put together to host an event and then you have to worry about promoting the event and selling tickets to the event and then actually making sure people show up because even people buying a ticket is not a guarantee their body will be there. (laughs) So um, it was really exciting that everyone really clicked in and engaged for the retreat. So that is my biggest thing. And it's just been like a little ball of sunshine inside me ever since it happened.
1: So awesome. And I saw a bunch of reviews that folks posted on your Instagram feed and it looked so amazing. And your photos and videos from it looked super cool. It sounds like you totally rocked it with that event.
0: Thank you. And there are so many more photos to come because I hired a photographer, a lady photographer. And so it'll be more than just me like frantically running around with my camera trying to get a picture. (laughs) That's so awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Tell me about your recent fabulous trip.
1: Mark and I just got back from Taiwan where we spent two weeks and holy crap, it was so awesome. I think everyone should add Taiwan to your list. It's so much cheaper than places like Japan, or certainly way cheaper than Europe. I think our most expensive hotel night was $60, including tax, and it was like a cool hotel room with a really big breakfast included. So, super cheap to travel. You know, you can take trains around the country for like 40 bucks and get all over the place. So we did a lot. We saw some really beautiful scenery at Taroko Gorge National Park, which is this beautiful marble gorge that dumps right out into the ocean. And then we went down the West Coast and visited Tainan, which is sort of like the Kyoto of. Taiwan. It's uh, this really ancient city. It was incredible. And then we flew from the island over to this much smaller island, Kinmen, which is right off the coast of mainland China, like right off the coast. You can see China from it. And it's been a disputed island for a lot of years. And so it has a really big military history, but it has like these crazy cool old villages with these beautiful houses. I have tons of photos from it on my Instagram feed. So check it out there if you're curious. But it, yeah, like it was the best trip. People were super friendly, so much good food, so much interesting cultural stuff stuff we just like walked tons and tons every day except some days we rented bicycles for cheap we'd like have a bike all day and then return it and they'd be like cool that was three dollars and yeah it was just it was so great and it was also a really good way to kind of break out of a work mindset and to feel really retired actually because we're on the other side of the world and the one we knew was online when we were awake and we kind of broke the twitch on some of the phone stuff so all in all super great trip highly recommend and yeah it was pretty hard to hard to leave and hard to come back. But now that I'm back, it's also nice to be home.
0: Yeah. And it's snowing there and we know you love snow. So
1: yes, it's finally. like Mother
0: Nature is welcoming you back with some snow.
1: I know. It was wonderful. And it's like the kind of light fluffy snow, which pro tip for those who live in snowy areas, you can save the finish on your front porch steps if you sweep the snow off instead of shoveling it. And here, sometimes the snow is like a little heavy and icy to do that. But this was like Perfectly sweepable snow. That's always my definition. I'm like, it's going to be good skiing if I can sweep it off the porch.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it. Pro finish saving tip. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's so funny. You didn't know that you were going to learn some like domestic chores tips here today on the fairer sets. <laughs> but bust out those brooms, ladies. Mm-hmm. Just when you think we're going to zig, we zag. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's move away from the domestic chores, shall we? <laughs> So let's talk about something we're both actually really excited about this week. Y'all can find this on The Hollywood Reporter and some other sources. A story that Jessica Chastain, the actress, the white actress, helped Octavia Spencer, Black actress, make five times her asking rate for this new comedy they're doing together at Universal by, in essence, bundling their salaries in the negotiations. So it was sort of like Jessica saying, like, okay, like you got to pay us collectively more instead of just paying me more, which I just love on every single possible level.
0: Yes, that is sisterhood. You know, to say not only am I looking out for my own paycheck, but this other woman who is my coworker, I'm going to look out for her paycheck too. And it's also an example of Jessica Chastain using her white privilege to help out a woman of color, which I think is amazing. I just, again, that's sisterhood. Like we are all fighting different battles within the (laughs) battle against the patriarchy. A white woman does not fight the same battle as a woman of color. A disabled woman fights a different battle than an able-bodied woman. And I think it's so, so, so important when there is this intersectionality and this overlap between women to say, okay, I'm going to use what I have to help you and thus to help kind of all women, right? Because now this is a Twitter moment. It's getting some traction and hopefully other people, other women, other men are going to do this.
1: I think for me, I've really had an evolution of my feminist thinking in the last several years. And I think stories like this really help cement for me what I think I want to be about in my life moving forward and for years I felt like if I pushed for more for myself that that was helping all women and that was helping the sisterhood that way but I think stories like this help me see that actually no we need to be fighting for each other and that the wage gap isn't just something that exists between men and women it's also something that exists between women especially between white women and women of color but I think there are all kinds of distinctions you know like there are instances of women who have kids paying a penalty for that and child free women making more and so it's helping to bring those women along as well helping to bring along younger women or women who might have had like a gap in their career for different reasons I think it's not just about helping ourselves anymore it really has to be about bringing other along.
0: I think that's part of the reason, which we're going to touch on our next episode, that we wanted to kind of form this podcast and to have these kinds of conversations because it needs to move out of... I've been having conversations about the way women are oppressed with women my entire life. And we have conversations amongst ourselves about the problems that we all face. And I think it's important to bring other people in this conversation, which we've begun to do on this show and we're beginning to do on a societal level. But it's also important to say like, those within the sisterhood that have power, like use your power and whatever that is, in whatever way that is, and really step into your power. I feel like that's a kind of a new agey phrase that I hear some people say, but I really believe it actually.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's completely true. And I think it's though, how do we think about that power? And is it using that power to help ourselves individually, believing that that will help us collectively? And sometimes it probably is, but I think it's also- Using that power to, to directly help individuals, not just kind of the generic collective, but the very specific human, personal, individual collective.
0: So today we're talking about mental health and money, and we're going to go through some of our own experiences with mental health. And I wanted to start by sharing that my mental health journey has been deeply tied into my money journey. I went to therapy in college my senior year for two or three months and then went Back to therapy right when I was beginning my debt payoff journey, right when it was like crying in cars 2014, because I didn't realize it, but I was dealing with pretty extreme anxiety and also feeling really defeated. I was definitely going through kind of like a low, dealing with some depression. And I used to go to therapy once a week and cry, just cry it out. (laughs) And I did that for about six months and then took two years off. And now I am back in therapy. I've been in therapy for about five months. And um, once again, dealing with anxiety and financial issues. So for me, my mental health journey is 90% tied up in my financial journey. Yeah, that's it's super interesting. I think I'm probably going to
1: overshare a little bit today, but <laughs> I, I think it's good to share some of this stuff, not just to get it off our own chests, but really to help destigmatize these things. I think people need to be talking about a lot of this stuff a lot more. And so- I think for me, my mental health journey has been very much the story of ongoing depression that is manageable sometimes and less manageable other times. And also in the past, this has now been many years back, but eating disorders that I do think still impact the way that I think about body image and all of that stuff. And it's interesting because I do feel like now I can talk about that because I am not at a job anymore. And I think if we were having this conversation a year ago, when I still had clients and had employers, I would not have felt free to share this. So even though I'm talking about breaking down the stigma, it's still like, I I think I would have had that fear that talking about these issues would somehow change the way that people see me at work and that that could have a negative impact on my career or my earnings potential.
0: Yeah, you know, it's wild. I have never felt stigmatized for talking about mental health. And I've been talking about it now for five, six years really regularly. I know a lot of people who are currently in therapy or who have been in therapy at a certain point in time. And I feel like my friend group is very open about it, but yeah, on a large scale, it is still very stigmatized and it really bothers me. But since there are, you know, seven and a half billion people in the world, everyone has different experiences, opinions, and honestly, there are Cultural norms that go into it as well. And so it isn't something everyone can be super open about all the time. Yeah, the cultural stuff is so true. But I think even
1: in what you might call like yuppie white culture, uh, which I was certainly a part of in my career, I do think there's more acceptance of the fact that like everybody might be taking antidepressants or everybody might be taking Xanax, but it's still not something where you want to walk around with a badge of there's that person who has depression or there's that person who struggles with anxiety, because I do think that stuff is still seen as weakness. And, you know, I think like that has a very real effect on our money and and our ability to earn or our ability to advance or to provide for a family. And so, I don't know, like I think talking about stigma, it's an important thing to talk about, but it goes so deep. It has so many layers to it.
0: I completely agree. There's a lot of ways that the stigma exists. And, you know, it's also to go back to the money point, like therapy is not... Therapy and or medication, any way you're dealing with mental health, is not always super accessible. I know that, okay, so I recently pulled out all my tax returns to look at just how broke I was. (laughs) And it is shocking. I'm going to share some numbers now. Um, In 2012, I made $16,099.94. And in 2013, I made $16,183.51. And 2014, I made just over $18,000, $18,423.87. And 2014 was the year that I started going to therapy. And I knew I needed to go probably a month before I went because... I didn't know how I was gonna pay for it. I was like, this is expensive and I have no money. And all I can do is think about how I don't have any money and it stresses me out more, it makes me feel bad, but I still can't pay for this. And luckily I found a counseling. I actually went to a therapist that my friend had gone to, cried for like an hour. And then she was like, okay, so just give me your insurance, which I didn't have. (laughs) So she was like, oh, well, I can't work with you if you can't pay me. Fair. But she sent me to a community-funded counseling office where I was able to pay $10 per session. And that therapy, I mean, changed my life. It got me to a much healthier place mentally. And since it was so affordable, it wasn't a strain on my poor $18,000 budget. But that's not always the case. Not everyone can get to these kind of community centers. Not everyone has access to them financially as well as just like physically. So I mean, mental health and money are caught up together in so many ways.
1: Gosh, it is so true. They they so are. I think like in my case, I've definitely had different periods of going to therapy in my life. But the most recent was a few years when I was working in my job that I had until the end of my career. And I felt like I couldn't tell people that I needed to go to therapy. I felt like I couldn't disclose the fact that I had pretty much like a mental health crisis. And I just felt like if any of that got out, if anybody knew that I was struggling with that stuff, that it would completely change the way that people saw me and that it would limit my career growth potential. And I have no way of knowing if that's true or not, but I certainly carried that fear around with me. And I think there are moments when, you know, perception is reality. Like whether employers think that or not if if you're worried constantly that they will then it might as well be true and so that was true in my case and like i went to therapy but i didn't tell people that that's where i was going <laughs> And i certainly you know like if i'd been struggling with a health thing i think i would have felt much more able to tell people about that and to say like you know i've got this thing i need to deal with or like i need to go to physical therapy for a while or whatever it is but we still have just such different views And I think if I were someone who was self-employed or was in a more tenuous job position, like I think it would have been even worse. And that's not even getting into all the stuff about like paying for it and choosing to pay for it and and what a big choice that was, which I talk about a little bit later in my interview with Kate Flanders. But there is just so much money stuff that goes into it.
0: You know, you've had a very traditional career path and I have had a very (laughs) non-traditional career path. And for me, it's not just the money, but it's the work that I've done that has at times aggravated my anxiety where, you know, as a freelancer, I don't know how much money I'm always going to make month to month. and. Even before I was writing, I was doing, I was waiting tables and working in the food service industry, which also varies. You don't know how much money you're going to make on a shift. And with catering, you don't know when there are going to be events. So, and you don't always know how long the events are going to be. So, even if you have an hourly wage, you could work five hours, you could work 12 hours. And that's really going to impact how much money you're taking home. And being constantly concerned about how you're earning money and how much you're earning. Is a huge mental health drag. And that's something that I still deal with. And it's gotten a little bit better since I've paid off my debt and since I've become financially literate in many ways. But it's still like I still to this day will get, it feels like an ice cold hand has grabbed my heart. (laughs) When I think about like a big trigger for me is retirement, thinking, how will I ever get enough money to retire on? That seems like an impossible mountain to climb. And for me my anxiety it like runs around in my head. I I obsess over it. I think about the problem over and over and over and over again because I'm trying to come up with the solution. But of course all I'm doing is aggravating the fear and repeating the anxiety and blowing it way out of proportion so that it's like sometimes you know it's like 1 p.m on tuesday and instead of sending out a pitch to generate more income or something i'm like oh my god <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, so learning how to deal with these things and how to be a, like more functional has been a huge help getting uh, coping mechanisms is the therapy term so <laughs> it's interesting though even hearing you talk about it and hearing
1: you know, like you've you've clearly done a lot of work and have put in the time to think about this stuff and have done a ton of introspection. But in just the words that you're choosing, like saying, well, it's just this or it's just that. Like it does strike me that the way that we all tend to talk about this stuff is a very belittling sort of way. And it's kind of invalidating our own fears or anxieties or depression that like I'm, I'm not meaning to call you out. I just think like we all do this and we're trained and socialized to do that. And I think that that kind of undermines all this stuff. Like this stuff is serious and it's worth treating like a med- medical issue. But we still don't do that. And we still don't talk about it on equal footing as medical
0: stuff. And I actually think what you just said, it's worth treating like a medical issue. It is a medical issue. I think what you mean is it's worth treating like a physical issue. You know, yeah. if you broke your leg, you'd of course go to the doctor and no one would look at you sideways for doing that. Of course, you need treatment. But if you're experiencing depression or anxiety or any other type of mental illness, sometimes people will question you for seeking help. I actually saw something that blew my mind. It was on Tumblr, where I like to spend some of my free time. <laughs> and- I'm a little embarrassed by that because a lot of people on Tumblr are like 16 to 22 when I'm 29, but
1: no no (laughs) shame,
0: (laughs) no shame. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) But what it said was it was talking about eyeglasses and people who need glasses. Like you would never, ever, that's essentially a, a disability in some ways, right? Like I can't see, my eyes don't work. Of course I'm going to use glasses or contacts or get LASIK or something. But when I say like I'm feeling really anxious and it's impacting my ability to work, for example, or to be a good partner, I need to go to therapy. Some people will be like, well, maybe you just need to like shake it off. Have you ever thought about not being depressed? (laughs) Like, Like you can just suck it up. But no, sometimes you do need the help and the tools. And it's just therapy has changed my life in so many ways. And I just want to erase all the stigma around it. And I want it to be so much more accessible to people
1: every meaning of accessibility, that it's not just more affordable. It's not just something that you can find a therapist and get in to see one, but also just that it's seen as more normal and not as you're broken or you're a person who, you know, is less worthy in some way. I think that's the stuff that is really hard to to get through. Even as women, I think like I, I do think that's worth clarifying because women, I think, are generally seen as more in touch with our emotions and I don't know the stats on this at all, but I would be willing to bet big money that women go to therapy more than men do. And so there are there are aspects of it where I actually think women have a leg up here over men where talking about your feelings and acknowledging weakness is is much harder to do because of the way that a lot of guys are socialized, but it's still something that You know, like we we do have these narratives that the stuff is bad or like we're broken or deficient in some way if we need this, that we should be able to get through life on our own without that level of help.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I think it is really gendered. And I think there is a lot of well, I know there is a lot of medical bias in the medical industry against women Oftentimes women's pain is not taken seriously or seen doctors will think we're exaggerating. and that's a real issue that we have to face and stigma comes again in lots of ways. It's not just, or I guess I mean stigma and biases impact us in ways that are invisible. So somebody that I care a lot about has been in and out of therapy for a few years and they carry a lot of shame around it. They feel like they don't want to be a person who's in therapy. They don't want to be a person who's on medication. To them, that feels like a failure or why do I need help when other people are doing just fine? And there's a lot of shame around it and it drives me kind of bonkers and it also breaks my heart. Again, it is this medical issue and of course you should be seeking help for medical issues. And so it's not always like, oh, somebody like made a rude comment about you going to therapy, but it comes from within our own heads of you're weak because you need this or you're less than because you need this. And those voices are honestly the hardest to drown out.
1: It just really struck me while you were talking about that, how much mental health is like money in the sense of like we all assume that we're somehow the only ones who need this and that everybody else walking around in the world is like doing just fine the same way you assume if you see somebody in a nice car that they must be loaded and not think about the fact that they might be deeply in debt or might have made some questionable choices to get that car. Not that everyone driving a nice car is in that situation but you know what I mean like I think the reality is that everybody's struggling with something and a lot of people are in a really bad way mentally and a huge number of people are medicated and we could have a whole other discussion about that. I do think that the kind of comparison idea and feeling like others are all doing well while we're struggling is one of those narratives that I think a lot of us carry when the reality is the
0: opposite of that. I remember way back when you had first started blogging, you mentioned in one of your blog posts that you and Mark had gone to couples counseling, I think right before you got married or Mm -hmm. right after to just kind of like work through communicating to know like, okay, well, we're about to sign up for this forever. Like we want to make sure that we're communicating with each other in the best way possible. And I found that so freeing (laughs) because at that point I was still paying off my debt. Everything I was reading in the personal finance community was really just like numbers focused. And you came in with this mental health aspect and this more human aspect. And I was like, I'm in (laughs) therapy. This is great. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Um, that totally warms my heart that that did that for you I mean I I still and I, I will like shout this from the rooftops. I think that the couples counseling that Mark and I did before getting engaged was like one of the best things we have ever spent money on. And I think he would say the same thing. In our case, it was learning how to communicate better and learning how not to have the same fight over and over and just to have better tools and be better listeners. You know, in a couples counseling thing, it's a different dynamic. It's less about your own mental health necessarily. And it's more about like, how do you make sure that you each feel heard? And how do you make sure that you fight fair? And how do you make sure that you are truly hearing each other when you're talking? And and that's all stuff that I think is super important. Important and that a counselor can help you figure out in ways that you can't always necessarily do without that help. But like, I feel the same way about mental health treatment individually, where like there is no shame in just having someone help you build the tools. Like, if you want to learn how to play the piano, you would like hire a piano teacher, right? Like, you would hire someone who's an expert in teaching you this. And though I don't mean to trivialize mental health by likening it to learning the piano, like, I think that there is something about it where it's like there is a big part of the work that's just building skills and having someone help teach you those skills or work through the process of learning them is like a really good investment.
0: It's such a good investment. And there are so many things that we don't understand about our own brains. Like, (laughs) not just emotionally, but I mean, scientifically, we don't really know so much about how the brain works. And so we never really know what experiences we have that will leave impressions on us or how they will leave impressions on us. And so sometimes we'll go through something and it'll be fine. And then a year later, you'll be like, wait a second, I really need to process that. And having someone, I mean, I'm hyperverbal in all areas of my life. Like, I talk to myself all the time because (laughs) I learn best when I am talking. So going to someone and saying, I am really, really bothered by this, like, I had had therapy earlier today and something that I've been working on for the last couple of weeks is that I go from like zero to 60 when somebody like is late for an appointment or doesn't show up at all. If we've agreed to get coffee or something and then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I have to bail. Like, can we reschedule? I get really upset. And i've been asking myself why like life happens i've been late before i'll be late again you know (laughs) like why do i take it so personally and why do i hold it as a black mark against this person like it's really hard for me to let it go and just honestly today I was like, oh, it's because it makes me feel like they don't value me. Like no one's going to bail on like Obama, you know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. because they admire him. They value him. They want to spend time with him. And when someone is late, what it sends to me is this message of you're not worthy. And so my therapist was like, well, where do you think that comes from? And I was like, next week. but, you know, I mean, I can't, I mean, I've been talking about this literally for the last three weeks in therapy and it was just today that I I had that moment of clarity. And this is after voicing it out loud to another person, out loud to myself alone in the car. My car is my safe space. I cry there. I talk to myself. (laughs) I'm sure people driving by are like, man, that girl's animated in her car right now. (laughs) It's where I do a lot of my processing. And it was so amazing to have that breakthrough with another person who could, take what I said and shine a little light on it and point me in the next direction I need to go where does that come from tune in next week to find out
1: <laughs> yeah and I mean like can we all just like be real for a minute like we need to get some of this stuff out into the light of day and have somebody else actually help us test things so like even on a basic level if it's not a paid therapist if it's just talking about some of this stuff with a friend or a loved one like that can have tremendous value so that we're not kind of going into these like crazy places in our own brains but we're actually airing the stuff and testing out theories and just like for me such an important thing in my therapy was always having my therapist just say like okay so you said this thing like how true is that <laughs> oh I still God, yes. <laughs> I still replay her voice in my head of how true is that when you know it's so easy to go down some kind of spiral where you end up thinking like oh everybody hates me or like oh I'm a terrible person and I suck or like those sort of extreme thoughts where just having someone to say how true is that is so valuable and helps kick us out of those thought patterns. And so, yeah, like I'm glad that you feel like your therapist helps point you in the right direction. But I think sometimes just like knocking down the crazy shit is like good too. And I'm and I'm not saying crazy in like a stigmatizing, serious mental illness way at all. I'm I'm using it in a slangy way, and I hope that doesn't offend anybody. Actually, it's something that T Bone
0: is really good at. <laughs> he won't say what was it. How real is that? How true is that? How true is that? He'll go. Mm,
2: is it happening like that?
0: <laughs> Where I'm like, this person is blackmailing me, or not blackmailing, but like you know, like targeting me. And he's like, mm, is it happening like that? Like, or maybe they got a flat tire and couldn't meet, couldn't meet you. And I'm like, T Bone, I don't need your logic. Get out of here! <laughs> How dare you try to reason with me? I just get, I'm like, let my emotions take me away on a sea of resentment. And he's like, no. <laughs> Is this it's still a, a very
1: a- long way of saying like, We support taking care of yourself with your mental health and investing in it and paying for it when you need to.
0: Yes, absolutely. And we're going to be linking to some budget-friendly resources in the show notes. So please make sure to go check those out. The Affordable Care Act, as long as it survives, does
1: improve mental health care that's covered by health insurance by law. So don't assume that your insurance, if you have it, will not cover therapy. There is a very good chance it will. In fact, by law, it is required to. So it's more a question of how big a deductible your plan has than anything. But definitely look at your own insurance and look at what your mental health care coverage is because there is much more available to people, at least in the U.S., than there
0: was in the past. Kara, you're a business owner. Tanya, you're a business owner. Woo, go us. And though we are badass business owners who are out here making hilarious podcasts and super engrossing blogs, parts of the job are not as glamorous like creating invoices, tracking payments, or making sure that people actually pay
1: us for our hard work. Fortunately, FreshBooks makes all of that stuff easy. FreshBooks is the cloud accounting software that's changing the world for freelancers, small business owners, and everyone in the gig economy, giving us more time to focus on what we really care about. Like crushing the patriarchy. I've spent a 15-year career as a W2 employee and have never actually had to do my own accounting or send an invoice to get paid. It's intimidating but FreshBooks
0: makes it completely unscary. I am both happy and ashamed to say that for over a year I mixed and matched services to do my accounting and it took so much time. FreshBooks is literally giving me back my time. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free
1: trial to The Fairer
0: Sense listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com TFC and enter The Fairer Sense in the How Did You Hear About Us section. All right. So we're
1: really excited to share this next interview. I talked with Kate Flanders, who is a really well-known blogger. I'm sure a lot of you guys know her. Before she started blogging under her name, she was blogging as Blonde on a Budget. She also has a brand new book that just came out that is so beautiful and such an inspiring read called The Year of Less that I really cannot recommend more so i hope y'all go out and buy it or get it from your library but read this beautiful book Um, but she has blogged a fair amount about feeling a lot of anxiety and making the choice to go to therapy and so i really wanted to talk with her about that and we had a nice chat
3: I had honestly never even thought of going to therapy. And in some ways, it was a really impulsive decision. My anxiety got so out of control last spring that it literally was just a almost like a crisis mode. Like if I don't talk to someone, I don't know what how long I can keep going like this. My anxiety was at the point where there were about 2 days in a row where I like wasn't comfortable leaving my home. I even like was freaked out like looking out the window. Like I mean, I've never experienced anything like that. And I just knew that I no longer had like the coping skills or like the coping skills that had worked for me before were not working anymore. So, in a way it was a little bit impulsive, but I I just didn't have an option at that point.
1: I really love that you had that impulse, though. Like You recognized that you were in a bad place. And I think a lot of us who've struggled with mental health stuff at different times can appreciate how hard it is to actually get that help and to recognize that it's worth spending on. And so I just think like, kudos to you for, for doing that and for recognizing that that was a money priority.
3: I will also give um, a huge amount of credit to not only my blog. I, I did this Where I kind of wrote about my anxiety, to be honest, it was very naive of me. I just didn't really maybe realize how open I was being or that so many people would resonate with it. But like that day, I think I got like a hundred comments. Not only of resources, so like books to read or meditation apps to try, yoga video, YouTube channels to try, stuff like that. Like a bunch of people said, you know, have you ever considered talking to someone? And I think that that was something I'd thought about before, um, especially just going through some like personal traumas and changes as an adult. Like you just, there's stuff that you haven't experienced before. And and so I've definitely thought about it. But after getting multiple kind of comments and suggestions from readers, I then had a conversation with my friend Claire, who was just so encouraging. And I I was like, should I email someone? And she just said, yes, yes, yes. Like she kind of just stayed with me on the line. And I I remember sending the email and just like bawling my eyes out because I think that anyone who has reached out for help knows how hard it is. It's like waving your white flag and saying like I can't do this on my own anymore. I need help. I just I I need someone to come in and help me now. And it was so hard, but I felt a, such a sense of relief just as soon as I hit send. It was this huge weight that came off my shoulders and yeah, it was it was definitely an experience, but I I truly like it pretty impulsive. Like that morning I published the blog post and by the afternoon I had found someone and reached out to her.
1: Gosh, yeah. I I hope people listening who need that right now take this as kind of the the inspiration to reach out and find someone to help. Cause I think hearing you talk about it and thinking about my own experience accepting that I've needed help at different times, it strikes me how for therapy in particular and mental health stuff, there's like a double barrier. It's already hard to reach out and admit that we need help and to ask for it. But then on top of that, for there to be a cost associated with that, it makes it I think doubly hard and particularly if you're feeling anxiety or feeling depressed because of money stress, the fact that you then have to spend money to take care of yourself, I think is a really hard thing and and honestly just really really unfortunate that that's the way that we have our mental health system set up. I think it's great that at least under the Affordable Care Act in the US and I don't know how it works in Canada, but there is some mental health benefit now guaranteed, but that's not to say that it's always going to be easy to find like a mental health practitioner who's covered under your plan.
3: I'm only now sort of learning about it, but I do know that in most communities in Canada, there are services that are available. So if you were in crisis, some communities have like counselors you can reach out to. I'm not sure if those are like long lasting relationships that you would end up building, but they are certainly at least one time or a few times, like if you just really, really need to talk to someone. But I totally agree. I think that Years ago, the cost would have prevented me from doing it. It was really the fact that I had an emergency fund, like that I had money in savings, that I finally felt comfortable making that decision for me. And to talk about it um, being a Canadian is that there's sort of a misjudgment or misunderstanding of like what is free and what's not up here. So to go to therapy is not free. That's not covered, especially I'm self-employed. So I don't have extended benefits or extended health in any way. So for me to go to therapy, the woman I was working with was about $130 Canadian per session. Mm-hmm. And to start for how bad my anxiety was, I went the first month I went every single week. So that was like an almost $600 investment in a month. And I definitely had to look at it like it was an investment in my mental health, which can pay off in other ways. But I, I only felt comfortable making that decision really like knowing that I had money to do it. Because now I'm in a situation where uh, my income is very uncertain for 2018, like being self-employed. And so I'm I'm not that comfortable um doing it right now. And I think that I would like to, like I, it's definitely, I mean, I was kind of writing out some goals for my year and going back to therapy and doing some more work is definitely on the list of things I want to do this year. But I'm yeah, it's just like hasn't hasn't been something I've been comfortable with because I don't really know where my income's coming from this year. So I'm very much feeling this need to kind of like hold on to my savings and not spend it at all. It definitely yeah, there's definitely a financial uh, aspect to it.
1: Yeah, it uh, gosh. <laughs> I feel so sympathetic to that because I'm a person who thinks that therapy is of enormous value and there have been several points in my life when I have gone to therapy for extended times. And the last time was when we were living in LA and what I refer to on the blog as our baller years when we were spending plenty of money going to restaurants and traveling and doing lots of stuff anyway. So it it was still mentally tough to accept paying for therapy, but it was helped by the fact that I found a great therapist who finished her social work master's, but still had to do supervised hours. So Mm -hmm. because of that, her fee was lower. So I think it was 60 or 65 a week, but I was going every single week and I went for, I think, like three years or something. So it was a big outlay in total, which I think saved me and got me through a really hard time. But then now, even though we have plenty of money saved, we're financially independent, It's definitely not in the budget to go to therapy. And so like, I'll just speak for myself. Like right now, I don't feel like I need it. But a year ago, I really felt like I did. And I didn't feel like I could pay for it. It was also complicated by the fact that I was still traveling a ton for work and being able to commit to a regular time would have been pretty close to impossible. But I went the medication route instead and talked to my primary doctor about getting back on antidepressants and felt like, okay, this is my stopgap measure. But at least the meds are covered where therapy would would be covered much less. And so that was like the easier choice to make. And, and like looking back, I don't regret that. I, I think that probably was the right call. But it's interesting with all the prices built into this stuff, how we have to make these weird choices and not necessarily make them on the basis of what we need, but on the basis of money. So it's interesting to hear you say that you only felt okay doing it because you had this emergency fund.
3: Well, and even listening to you talk about it, I'm wondering if there's a component of just like we're more comfortable when we're earning regular income mm-hmm. because I I was pretty comfortable with how much I was earning last year as well. Like I knew where my next paycheck was coming, you know. And so I wasn't worried about no more money coming in. Right now I'm I'm literally in a situation where like I know I have money to last me the next, you know, handful of months, but I don't have my actual Like, I don't really know how I'm making money this year. Things are, they just look very different for me. So I'm not comfortable using my savings because at the moment, that's also my cash buffer. So it's almost like it's a bit of a scarcity mindset too. Like, it's like, yes, we have savings, but when you're not earning money and you know you're going to get more, it's hard to spend your savings.
1: Like everything you're saying, everything that I'm saying, it all makes sense to me, but it also just feels on some level really sad because I think that a lot of the people who probably need therapy the most are those who don't have that cash buffer or have the anxiety because of money or like just thinking about me last year, like we were still both earning six figures. And so there was no scarcity, but I do think we felt like that money was spoken for in working toward our goal of retiring early at the end of the year. So, you know, if I had spent money on therapy, it would have set us back on the other goal and I think that that didn't feel like a worthwhile trade-off and now I will say like last year I was not in crisis I think like you recognizing that you were was really huge and I have had a time in my life when I recognized that too and if if it had felt like a crisis last year I think I would have found a way to just like suck it up and pay for it it is interesting how the scarcity mindset can be such a hindrance to actually getting the care you need and it's possible to have that mindset even if you don't actually have any scarcity at all
3: I would add to that that, again, I don't know all the resources available in the States, but kind of learning more about what's available in Canada, I think that, especially if it's like crisis mode, definitely just looking up, like for for us, it's literally, you can look up like the name of your city or like the region you live in, plus community services or community therapy or community counseling um, on Google, just see what might come up out there. because even if it's not the long lasting relationship, like someone you could work with for months and months. At least in Canada, I know that there are resources out there, like there is someone you could talk to in a moment of need and that that is offered for free.
1: Yeah. And we'll post some info on what's available in the US in the show notes as well. I do know under the Affordable Care Act on my last plan, my specialist rate was 40 bucks. And so I could have gotten 40 visits for $40. And like I almost want to laugh at myself in hindsight because I paid that rate to go to a bunch of physical therapy appointments, which were of ah, medium utility. But the thought of spending that money on mental health just felt wasteful somehow, which is crazy.
3: Well, it's and just sort of interesting that um, we don't prioritize it because we don't always feel it in the way you might feel physical symptoms. Although, I mean, it can translate into physical symptoms, but we don't always feel it that way. And so there's something about it. There, I think there's stories we tell ourselves about, you know, we can handle it and, you know, we can figure something else out. But last year was the first time I ever went to therapy. It took me going to see that it's not this like, scary, judgmental, anything, like there's nothing bad about it. And you realize the conversations you end up having are pretty similar or can be pretty similar to like what you might have with friends, but they just go deeper and you can say more stuff that you might not say to your friends. And so it's not, it's like literally you're just talking to a human, but I think that there's something about it where it feels scarier than it is and, and not always as necessary. But I can certainly say for myself that what I took from it or like the timing of the fact that I even went was so essential looking back because then I went through more things that year or last year. And I don't know that I would have been okay coping with them had I not started therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think that it doesn't always feel like a, a need, but it doesn't have to be crisis mode. You don't have to be in crisis mode to benefit from some amount of therapy.
1: I think of it as almost like as usual, I have conflicting thoughts. Like on one hand, on the very practical level, I really do think therapy is just giving yourself more tools and it's learning to cope with things and talking through some of them so that you can actually recognize like what's really going on. Because I know like for me, often when I am in a really depressed place, it doesn't feel to me like sadness. It feels more like just being really annoyed and irritated with everything and kind of unable to take a step back. And it often, as many times as I've been through depression cycles, it it often takes me a really long time to recognize that I'm depressed, actually, mm-hmm. which is one of those things where I'm like, I'm a smart person. I'm pretty self-aware. Like, why can I not figure this out sooner? But for some reason, that's just how it, it goes for me. And so therapy always helps me recognize that a little bit sooner. But at the same time, it does feel like accepting that you need that help, accepting that you're willing to pay for it, it sort of feels like on some level an admission that you're, you're broken or like there's something wrong with you. And I loved this thing that my... My old therapist used to say, which was like, let's not pathologize you. Let's not act like this is some like massive mental illness. This is like a very normal thing to think. And it's normal to feel this whole range of emotions, including the negative ones, including the anxious ones. And I really always appreciated that. It's like, to your point, therapy is not like some big scary thing. It's not like admitting yourself to a mental institution. It's just like recognizing that you want to talk some of this stuff out and could use help figuring out the best set of tools for yourself.
3: Therapists are really great at helping you normalize it, like you just said. I remember um, just even the way that mine would give me visuals of, like, how our bodies react to things. And once, like, I kind of had those visuals realizing, like, oh, yeah, like, when, whenever anyone is anxious, this is, like, what happens in your brain. But for some of us, especially if you've had any, you know, underlying anxiety for a period of time it's just like higher and your body starts like just not being able to handle how much you've already got inside of you and so but really just normalizing that like this is what humans have been doing for years like when they're faced in these situations this is physically how your body and your mind react and it it so it just really helped normalize it for me which then i i hope in in continuing to talk about it with others can just normalize the thought of going to therapy in the first place
1: I'd love to know, you know, in this year where you feel like your income is uncertain and you're feeling like paying for therapy is a little bit hard to stomach right now, like what are you doing to take good care of yourself and to make sure that you're getting some other outlets to work through any anxiety that arises so that you're not totally giving up on on taking care of that stuff? It just might be through different mechanisms.
3: I think it was the first or second session I had with my therapist last year. She said, your homework literally for today is to just go home and try to write a list of 10 things that you can do that make you feel calmer or things that make you feel joy, even if it's temporary, just what what makes you feel good. I still have that list and it includes things for me like spending time outdoors, just literally going for a walk in nature, meditating even just for like five or 10 minutes and really just learning and accepting that meditation is not also big or scary as that sounds sometimes like meditation can literally just be sitting in silence for five minutes that and yoga obsessed with having Epsom salt baths. Uh, so it's really just self-care stuff for me. I go back to my list. And so I would say that uh, that list will look different for everyone. But for me, I'm I'm just so grateful that, you know, that's such a simple exercise, but I still have that piece of paper from almost a year ago now. And I'm so glad that I have it.
0: Spoke with a psychotherapist named Casey Lepper, who is located in Austin, Texas. So if you're local to Austin, you can check her out, and her website is austincounselingbalance.com. And we spoke a little bit more in terms of action, things you can do to counteract some bad habits that I I have developed. <laughs> I blatantly use this as a chance to be like, hmm, here's some things I'm doing. How do I change it? <laughs> uh, but she was great. So we're gonna hear a little bit from her.
2: American Psychological Association says that money is one of the leading causes of stresses among Americans. And so what I see it's if you're an older adult, then 64% of Americans have fear that they won't be able to have enough money for retirement. The younger population, there's so much stress around the expenses, having student loan debt, not having enough money to do what they want to do, to have the experiences and the time that maybe you see on social media platforms. And so I think that overall, there's the stress associated with money because we have in our Western psyche, this thought that more money equals happiness.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. We talked about that on a past episode of this idea of always pushing forward and always needing more and more and more and that happiness kind of lies at the end of this Always extending yeah. road. And I think especially with money, you can always earn more, right? You can always go from a million to two million mm-hmm. to five million. It's limitless in some ways. And that creates a lot of stress and anxiety. And I feel like it doesn't create an avenue to happiness because you can always keep striving. Yes.
2: <laughs> it's the same. Money is the same as beauty. So you could always be more beautiful or in better shape. And you can always have more money. And people's assumption is that. If we have just a little more money, we'd be happier. But in actuality, we're conditioned to always want a little bit more. So the more you make, the more you actually want. So you're always in that place of not feeling like you have enough. I definitely operate with a scarcity mindset. And
0: that for me comes from the experiences I've had as an adult as being low income. But also I grew up really low income and so it always felt money was so stressful it was hard it was something we didn't have and we didn't talk about it my mom wasn't very like holistic about like this is a challenge but we're meeting it in these ways and fair enough <laughs> i don't blame her for that but i'm curious the financial experiences we have as a child you know they bleed into our adulthood. How do you help people rewire that? And how can people kind of rewire that? Absolutely. That certainly
2: happens. We usually act our relationship or we get our relationship with money imprinted in childhood. So how our primary attachment figures handled money, if there was a lot of it, what did that look like? If there wasn't a lot of it, what did that look like? What did it feel like? And so a lot of times with clients, whether I'm working with an individual or a couple, it's where were those first messages about money given to you? Who did you get them from? And how did that lead you or how did that shift you in your environment? So if you have in the core or in your soul that I don't have enough, then because we've always felt like we've been missing this thing, then the money can create such a power in our life when we become adults. So essentially, the thing that we're missing in childhood, whatever it is, in this case, if it's finances, then a lot of times, subconsciously or consciously, our actions as we go into adulthood really reflect that. I like to go back into the past and and really loosen up the memory that that client has about money. So a lot of times, memory is valuable. And so we can go back and play with it. And and then also creating a framework of appreciation and gratitude. So a lot of times based on our previous experiences, and childhood especially, we forget to think about the people who had even less than us. And so really reframing it in the, well, I'm very grateful to be in the place now. In our episode about privilege, Tanya and I were talking
0: about how so often in the this bootstraps narrative, I earned everything that I have. We forget about the... Invisible privileges that we have that also helped us get someplace. And I know that for me, I often, like I said, operate from this scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. and I'm working on it, but I feel like I need to hoard things. I can't share, I can't be generous. And it's very easy to forget, like, okay, actually, Kara you do have some stuff. So giving away this $5 to this homeless person or buying a friend a cup of coffee is not going to break you. That is not going to ruin you financially. And in fact, being grateful that I can do this and take this as an opportunity to celebrate my friend or to be kind to a stranger instead of just hoarding, hoarding, hoarding. right?
2: Reframing it in that way has it has begun and to help so me. there's so much research about the science of happiness. And in particular, does money create happiness? And there was a Harvard study, and they found that it doesn't. But when money can give us happiness, it's when they find that people are spending it on altruistic causes, when they're giving it to others, or when um, people spend money on services that will give them more time. So for instance, paying for a maid, saving you maybe three hours of cleaning, that's when money can be used as a tool.
0: Yeah. It's, so it's all about how, we, how we're using money as a tool mm-hmm. and less about really money itself.
2: Right, right. I do think, um, you know, talking again about the Western psyche, there is this pursuit of happiness or meaning in our life that's been largely replaced by the pursuit of money whether that's because of status, power, comfort, stability. And ultimately, it's not about giving up on the desire to purchase material things. That is a part of our life. And I think that's been a part of humans from the start. It looked different. Money was just created. So bartering and trading was easier. But when you talk to clients now that, okay, there's a place for the physical needs, the earthly desires, And when you give place to that, but then say on the other side, it's the spiritual needs. And that looks different. That's feeding not the material side of things, but your your soul, which giving back to others is one of like one of the most beautiful forms of altruism and of that spiritual meaning that gives us a greater sense of purpose and meaning. And when people feel the difference, then I think ultimately, it's just easier to put more of your energy into that into the spiritual meaning of things rather than just physical needs.
0: We're always kind of pushing ourselves forward. And like I said earlier, we do that with money a lot. You can always have more. And like you said, with beauty, you can always be prettier or fitter or whatever it is. How do you kind of stop that? (laughs) Like, I've found with myself that when I'm feeling really competitive or I'm just playing the comparison game or I'm feeling overwhelmed because there's so much to achieve and I feel like I've achieved so little, it makes me feel like crap. And I try to step away So I won't be on my phone. I won't be on TV or something. But still, sometimes the negativity just sits with you, like in your
2: gut. Do you have any advice on how to shake that off? We are inundated. The screen time that we all consume, just scrolling through Instagram, it can make you want things that you never thought you wanted. And just on the technology and the algorithms, they can really understand your personality. And so really, it's hard when you are looking at a screen you look something up one time and it's, it's going to flash in the corner of your on, on the site that you're looking at. So it's very hard to stop our brain because our brain loves novel. It loves new things and new experiences and new material objects. So when we're seeing them and we can't get away from them, it can create this, I don't have enough sort of attitude my primary recommendation is cutting screen time. There are some apps that you can download to see how much time you're actually spending on your phone. And it's sort of scary when you actually look at it and think how many of my thoughts are my own thoughts. All these, the screens just carry all these marketing messages of to be prettier, to have more money. And so really stepping away. I think that the best form of, Presence is stepping away from the screen, of getting into nature, taking your shoes off, sitting, and trying to detach yourself from this habit that we've created. So, really trying to go through a technology detox. I think that is primarily where we get most of our messages that we don't have enough.
0: We've talked a lot on the show about how we handle money in our romantic relationships with our partners. And Something that I just had a conversation with my partner about is that when I'm feeling anxious or out of control, I feel like my life is moving really fast or I'm not being heard in some way in another area of my life. hone in on my partner's student loan debt Mm -hmm. (laughs) as the problem. I'm like, well, if T-Bone would just pay off his student loan debt, I wouldn't have to worry about it, even though something else is making me worry. Yeah. Do you have any advice for me (laughs) and for others? How do we connect with what's really stressing us out or worrying us and stop using these? I think it's called transference. How do I stop transferring my worries about life and business onto T-Bone's student loan debt?
2: (laughs) think that that is very common because the point of view that I practice from, that every, everyone I meet or every partner, intimate relationship, friend, acquaintance, they reflect a part of me onto myself. So everyone around you, it's like they're holding a mirror to, to you. So anytime that I feel... Like I'm transferring or projecting my issues onto someone else. It takes awareness and pulling back and saying, okay, this is me. This always has to do with me and less about them. And using that as the point of, okay, I need to go deeper into this. But the magic happens when you go inside. But if you think, okay, I'm being triggered right now. Where is this feeling coming from? Okay, it's coming from the lack of what I felt like I had growing up. This is information for me to go deeper, go further for me. Because really, it's releasing your attachment to that that will help you free yourself from this issue. Oh, but that seems so hard. (laughs) It's just we can peel back layers and it, it only, we can only fully peel back the layer and discard it when we seek truth within ourselves.
0: So I think something that we both feel and that we heard a little bit in each of the segments was that it's so worth it. I know that my insurance last year covered one therapy session per month throughout the year. So I could go to therapy 12 times a year for free. And if that's all you can do because that's what your insurance covers or all you can afford, I think that's worth it. I think it's worth to have a once a month check-in, a once a month detox if you want to think of it that way. And it is, like Kate said, an investment in yourself. And it's something that It's like taking your cough syrup, you know, (laughs) like, oh, I take my cough syrup when I have a cough and when I'm feeling really like I need help, I go see my therapist and it's something that will make you feel better, even if you don't always... Sometimes you might leave therapy crying or upset or agitated But as you work through the issues longer term, it really does I can say that it has made me feel better every time i've gone It's given me a deeper understanding of myself and how I do things and now I can call myself on my own bullshit sometimes (laughs) And now I can also be more graceful and kinder to myself when I need to be Mm -hmm. God snaps to that being kinder to ourselves. It's so important the
1: scarcity mindset. I think of as kind of a weird paradox with mental health where the lack of money or our perceived lack of money can be a cause for stress or anxiety or depression that makes us need treatment that then costs money. (laughs) And I don't have an easy answer for that. I think that in my own case, you know, like I don't now want to invest in therapy. And I'm grateful that at the moment, I don't feel like I need it. But I'm also realistic that depression is something that's a part of my life and isn't going away. And at some point, I'm going to have to wrestle with this question of needing to pay for treatment. And I know that. And I think knowing that is helpful, but it doesn't make that decision necessarily an easy one. It's still a hard one, but maybe a little easier if you know you need it and you know you have to just kind of suck it up and pay for it. It's different of course if you just legit don't have that money. And so we're going to post those resources, but just kind of knowing that might very well be something that is a force in your life like Carrot has been in yours of like money being a real trigger for your anxiety. So figuring out what resources are available to you to get treatment in whatever way you can afford, I think is is really the the key action there.
0: I know that as someone who has gone through this scarcity mindset and in many ways is still in it, feeling like there will never be enough and that I have to hoard things instead of – releasing them or letting them grow or allowing new opportunities into my life. Parting with money, especially for something like mental health, can feel like a step in the wrong direction. But what has been my experience and what I would hazard a guess to say has been many, many other people's experience is that working through the scarcity mindset in therapy will actually allow you to grow. And you see the phrase abundance mindset a lot. And that's ideally what you want to be working and feeling like. I have an abundance. I am making decisions from a place of abundance rather than making decisions from a place of fear, which is something I have a lot of experience with. I mean, that's essentially how I paid off all my debt. I was so terrified that I was going to live like that forever, that it kicked my butt into gear. And I did all these things, which was great, but it was also a really tough time in my life. I said no to a lot of things. I was in therapy. I was struggling with a lot of things and I saw results, but it wasn't the easiest or honestly probably like the healthiest way. And I think that working through this scarcity mindset, it's been so worth the investment. It's been so worth forking over the what used to be $10 and now is $75 per session so that I can invite change and abundance into my life and really begin to harness those things to work for me totally and I think in
1: my case like I, I would say the last really long round of therapy that I did was was less about scarcity versus abundance and was more about to be perfectly blunt like survival and staying alive <laughs> and um, you know like whatever it takes to thrive in your life or just to stay alive or you know to be able to get through tough situations or get from scarcity to abundance like wherever you are whatever you feel like you need you know and if you're in a place in your life where you don't feel like you need mental health care like great but knowing that this is an option, and is worth investing in when you need it, if you need it, I I think is just an important reminder that we should all carry around. And and to tell that to our friends, tell that to our loved ones, like shout it from the rooftops. This is a valid need and a really valid thing to spend your money on.
0: I'd also just like to say to anyone listening who may be sitting with thoughts of self-harm or anyone listening who knows someone who's been dealing with self-harm, I have someone in my life who has gone through periods of self-harm who I love dearly. And I just want to say that you are valid and you are of worth. People love you and people care about you and you have an impact on this world that is appreciated. And so I just want to say, we see you, we love you, and we are here for you.
1: And If you
0: are, in fact, in crisis right now or you're thinking about harming
1: yourself, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, totally free. You can also online chat with them. You can Google National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and the phone number is 1-800-273-8255. So reach out if you need it. It feels like we've just really scratched the surface on this today and certainly mental health is something that is a huge topic. We here at The Fairer Sense are really talking about women and money. And and so we've focused mostly today on the aspects of mental health that overlap with money in some way. But there's really a lot more to say here and we'd love to engage with you guys about it on Twitter or on email or on comments on thefairersense.com. So you can find us in all the usual places at fairer sense, thefairersense.com or fairersense at gmail.com.
0: And we'd also love to hear from you specific episodes you've loved or hated because next week we are going to do our season one wrap up episode. It's going to be our last episode, which is incredible in some ways that we made it through a whole season. (laughs) So if you have any final thoughts about the season or about specific episodes or about mental health, please get in touch with us. And as always, we love it when y'all leave reviews. We actually checked our reviews right before we started recording. (laughs) Like, oh, do we get a new one? What's going on? So please leave us some reviews if you have the time. Yeah, we
1: we always appreciate all of it. We appreciate you whether you leave a review or not. We just appreciate you tuning in. It has been so fun doing season one of Fair Sense and feeling like it's resonating with folks and like we're filling a bit of a void that's out there. So there are definitely going to be more seasons to come. Fear not, um, but we've got one more for you next week, which we can't wait to share. So stay tuned. And until next week, stay rad. Stay rad. (laughs) The Fairer Sense is produced by me, Tanya Hester, and the best podcast partner in crime ever, Cara Perez. Editing by me. Our theme song is by The Insider. Our ad music is by Keith McLeod. And additional music is from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, Lee Rosevere, Rogue for Free, Boxcat Games, Baby59, and VOPD. You can always find me at our and Kara at Braveego.co.